I didn't know anything about it. You know, I didn't know anything about the show horses and I didn't have any trainer telling me that there was a right way to do things and a preferred way to do things. So I just, I had to figure it out. You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. Welcome back to this episode of The Ride Podcast. Today we're going to sit down and talk with accomplished ranch riding and versatility ranch horse trainer Cody Crow about his roots in ranching in the Western world, his training philosophy, and the big events that he's headed to next. This week's episode is brought to you by ManaPro. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Ride Podcast. I'm Devin. I'm here with Nicole, and we are joined today with Cody Crow. So Cody Crow is the owner of Nowhere But Up Performance Horses. He's a very successful uh, ranch horse and reined cow horse trainer based out of Johnstown, Colorado. Cody, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before we dive into like more about you and where you're going and what you're doing and all the things, my first question, I just I, I got to know, where did the name come from? nowhere but up performance horses. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> sure. You know, I, um, I guess I went to my, I had my very first show horse prospect, you know, right out of high school and it was a little stud and we called him Amigos Medicine. And I went to my very first horse show and I was so proud of this horse and we were in the Western Pleasure class and I came around the top of the pen and somebody did something on the outside of the pen and this colt just bogged his head and bucked all the way around the top of the pen and I was mortified <laughs> and so when I came out I was so discouraged and one of my good friends and the gal I was showing with she was like well there's nowhere but up from here and it just kind of stuck and so there was a picture that they took actually at the horse show of this colt bucking around the top of the pen and I have that still in my kitchen today kind of as a reminder of where it all started from. And before you kind of got into the show world, you grew up on a working ranch, correct? So you've, you've been around the horses your entire life. Uh, talk, can you talk a little bit about that and then your transition to more of the performance horse side of things? Sure. Yeah. So I was raised on my family's cattle ranch in Southeastern Colorado, where we raised like Angus Cross and more of a rodeo family. So I grew up just on horses. We just always had them and we trained most of our colts ourselves well actually we trained all of our horses ourselves and so we just kind of grew up doing that and I think I was 12 years old when the first neighboring grant sent me a colt to train and I actually got paid for it and that's when I realized that you could get paid for riding horses and so I did that all through kind of high school it's just kind of a side hobby and then when I went to college um, I went to Oklahoma on a scholarship and then I stayed out a semester. And so then when I transferred to Colorado State University, there were no more scholarships for a transfer student who had stayed out a semester. And so 
I had to pay for college. And so I started writing up a lot more quotes just to pay for school. And then it, you know, just kind of escalated. And then pretty soon I started showing a little bit more and things just kind of took off. And now we're doing kind of what we're doing. So I, I kind of have a similar background in that I grew up like on a ranch and in the rodeo background and from, from that part of the horse industry, how was that making the shift into the show world and into the ranch riding and like the rain cow horse events? When did that happen? You said kind of college, but can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like coming from like the rodeo background, the uh, working ranch background into the show world? You know, it, it just kind of, um, I just kind of have gone through life, I think, like Mr. Magoo, you know, completely unaware of everything. And so I guess I was just pretty ignorant. You know, I didn't know that there were show trainers and I, I didn't know all of that stuff. And, you know, on the ranch, we didn't know what leads were or any of those types of things. But I, I loved riding and I rode every day and I had a string of horses. And so I didn't know what a lead was, but I knew that if I pushed their body a certain way that I could make them lope different and I could make their legs move differently. But I didn't, I didn't know that it was a lead. And then somewhere along the way, somebody said, well, that's a lead. And they kind of told me that I was doing lead changes out through the pasture, loping around all the sagebrush and stuff. And I was always kind of playing around doing that stuff, but I didn't really know what it was. And so when I got that stud amigo, I just thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, we were roping on him. And a friend of mine said, well, there's this ranch horse at Wyoming State Fair, this kind of ranch horse show. And I had no idea what it was about. And so we loaded him up and we went in the trailer and I showed up my first ranch horse show. And I didn't know what any of the classes were or what a pattern was really. And anyway, it was really fun and we got through it and we ended up winning that show. And I thought, well, this is pretty fun. So then I saw that there was another one at, uh, in Albuquerque at the New Mexico State Fair. And so we went the following month to Albuquerque. There was this class called the cutting. And I had no idea what it was or how to do it. And I talked to a lady who's become a very good friend of mine since then, Betty Lou Valdez. And I was like, well, why are those two people standing out there in front of the herd? And what are they supposed to do? And I was just really ignorant to the whole deal. And so I just inadvertently jumped into the middle of something that I had I didn't know anything about it, uh, but I had a lot of people, you know, that helped me and kind of told me what was going on. And so that just kind of escalated. And then I started showing that stud a lot in all of the versatility. And back then we didn't have a, a versatility world show. You just ran for the year end honor roll. And so, you know, I was young and it was just me in college and not a lot of training horses and so we traveled all over the country and we'd show in about 20 to 30 states a year and we did that for several years and over the course of that I got a lot more exposure and I learned a lot of stuff and so we did a lot of the ranch riding and trail within the versatility and then years later when the ranch riding started that was kind of already something we were doing from within the versatility and so it was just a pretty easy transition to make. So with the with the ranch versatility, you have also been kind of a big reason why Colorado has such a good ranch versatility association. I know that you were kind of one of the the people that kind of helped get it started and and you know get going with it. And now we see more versatility ranch horse associations popping up. Like you said, they didn't have a world show at the time. There's a world show popping up. Can you kind of talk about the evolution of that and what inspired you and, and the others in Colorado to kind of 
create this association and, and, you know, get more people involved? You know, there just, there weren't a lot of local shows for us at the time. Like I said, we were traveling, you know, to Alabama and California and Florida. We were doing a lot of those shows. Um, but I also had, um, paint clients and I was, had a lot of paint cults and there wasn't anywhere to show them. So a friend of mine, Joe Downey and I, we decided, you know, we should do a big horse show in Colorado and we're going to make it all breed. And so we labeled it the Colorado Outbacks and we ran that for several years where we had AQHA versatility ranch horse shows. And then we had all of these open classes and we had three-year-old, four-year-old classes. And, and over the years, it just, it kind of grew and we saw that there was a need for people that had different breeds, you know, like there's lots of people that are interested in the ranch horse classes that aren't just quarter horse classes. And at the time there was a place for younger horses, you know, that were a little bit greener, that weren't really ready to step up and go down the fence and rope and do all of the things that were required at the time for the versatility. Because when it first started, you had to do all of the classes. You know, it wasn't an a la carte menu like it is now. And there were just lots of people that were interested in it, but there were classes that their horses weren't ready for or they weren't ready for. And so we found a way to kind of make a place for that by offering these open classes. And then years later, um, we started the Stock Horse Association and made it an all breed. And at the time, we kind of were in line with the American Stock Horse Association. And then later, we made the transition to be an affiliate of the Stock Horse of Texas, which is an alliance of AQHA. And we felt like that was going to add us some credibility and give us some structure with a a bigger governing body. And it's just really grown and it's helped promote the event and it's made a place for all different types of riders and different types of horses, regardless of the breed. And so that, that was really fun to just kind of get going and get behind and get the ball rolling. And that's so cool how it's grown so quickly and so widespread. And you've been such an, an a key factor in that growth, especially like you were saying, uh, because you're self-taught in so many ways. Uh, I love when you were saying like, you didn't even know what a lead was. You just knew you could navigate that horse's body by asking for different things. I feel like it's like being uh, self-taught in music, like you play by ear or whatever. Um, so that's sure. such a cool beginning to where you're at now and what you've helped build. Who's been like your mentor along the way, or do you have any currently, or was there anybody that really stands out as you navigated these waters that like helped you along the way? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think there's just been a, a lot of people that have helped me throughout the way, you know, I mean, I would show at horse shows and I remember I was pretty young and my first big horse show, I think I was in Waco, Texas. And some guy came up and said, Hey, I could kind of help you with this turnaround a little bit. And then I found out later it was Doug Milholland. I had never met the man. And then later I Googled him and figured out who he was. And so there's been lots of people like that that just gave me a little bit of advice or said, Hey, try this or Hey, maybe, maybe don't do it that way. And so there's been lots of trainers, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff from the non-pros as well. And they've ridden with other trainers and course they've ridden themselves and they have their own opinions about some stuff and I've tried to just always be open to listening and taking the opportunity to learn from whoever was willing to give me any advice so uh you know the last several years uh, Don Murphy has helped me a lot and he's it's always an opportunity to kind of get chewed on by Don 
and break my bad habits <laughs> and and push you to get better. But um, I, I've been fortunate because there's been a lot of people that have really helped me along the way. I think it's a right of way to get um, yelled at by Don Murphy if you're going to be in the cow horse stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think you better learn to take a butt chewing, but it's going to make you better. He's yeah, he's amazing. And, and there's a reason that he is, you know, one of the, the he's like the trainer's trainer, all the all the cow horse guys go to him. And um, yeah, I've had the opportunity to listen to him and learn from him and, you know, watching him in clinics. And yeah, it's, it's amazing what he's done. Um, so with all of those mentors and all of those people who have kind of supported you throughout your, your career, um, if you could sum up your training philosophy into a sentence or two, you know, what would it be? And I know that's a really hard question. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing about my philosophy is that you need a versatile training program. So I try to recognize and appreciate that all of these horses are individuals and they have their own individual and unique character and their own unique style. And so I try to be open and modify my training program to meet the needs of that individual to do what we can do to accentuate their strengths and improve some of their deficits. So mostly just staying open and staying versatile and not being afraid to think outside of the box and change what you need to for each individual horse. Introducing MaxiGlow Senior Stabilized Rice Brand Supplement, formulated in an easy-to-chew soft pellet to keep your senior horse thriving for years to come. MaxiGlow Senior contains high fat and protein levels to keep your horse healthy and strong, probiotics and yeast to support digestion and gut health, omega-3 fatty acids for a shiny glowing coat, and controlled starch levels for safe, concentrated energy. See the MaxiGlow difference, now available at Tractor Supply. So do you find that your experience with the, the ranch horses that you grew up training on comes into play in your training today or that your experience with those like roping horses or rodeo horses has effect on the way you train now? You know, in, in retrospect, I think it absolutely did because I, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I didn't know anything about the show horses and I didn't have any trainer telling me that there was a right way to do things and a preferred way to do things. So I just, I had to figure it out and I was getting a lot of cults that were not bred to really do any of the things that I wanted to do. And so I had to figure out a way to motivate those horses and work with those horses to make them as good as I could get them to be. And, you know, they weren't particularly, like I said, they weren't bred to do those classes. And because I didn't know that there was a preferred way to do things, I always just kind of had to figure it out and I had to work with that horse because that was the horse I was fortunate enough to ride. And I think that's carried over into my training program today, you know, where I have a lot of good friends where they have a very specific program and those horses either fit within their program or they don't. And I spent the majority of my career, just seeing every horse I had as an opportunity to try to make it as good as I could get it. And I appreciated the opportunity that those owners had given me. And I took that very seriously. And so I took on a lot of horses that most people probably wouldn't take on 
you know, they didn't fit the mold or they were pretty tough or pretty bronchy, but I always saw the challenge. And so I think that, I think that has had a huge influence over what my training program is today. And, and I don't just kind of follow a mold. I look at all of these horses and try to figure out what I can do to work with them. I think that's a great philosophy. And, um, I'm also, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of listening to your horse. And like you said, there's so many trainers out there where there, you have to have a certain horse and they have to be able to fit into that kind of mold of how they like to train on them. So it's nice to hear that someone is able to kind of adapt their riding to fit the horse rather than trying to get the horse to fit their program. Um, so kind of going into the ranch versatility a little more, I've learned a lot just from you and, and from our video shoots and cause I, the ranch versatility was very new industry for me. And, and I think a lot of people, cause it's just continued to grow year after year. Uh, things I learned is that you don't have to compete in every event and, you know, some of the events differ than they would at like a traditional quarter horse show. Like the ranch riding isn't the same. Can you kind of quickly, I, I know we could kind of go down the rabbit hole, but can you kind of quickly talk about the different events within the ranch versatility and, you know, what you can, and you don't have to show in every event and, and what you have to show in every event, if you want to compete for like the, you know, all around title and, and just kind of give more people an understanding of what it is who might have not been able to compete in it yet. Sure. So, I mean, basically the, the versatility is the all around cow horse. And so there's classes such as the ranch riding, the ranch trail, the reining, the cutting, the actual working cow horse class itself. And then it's followed up by a confirmation class. And it's to me, it's sort of the ultimate test of which horses are super, super, super cowy, you know, that you can demonstrate that in the cow work classes. But they're handy and methodical and quiet and broke for the trail and the ranch riding. And then I think it's an important class, uh, the confirmation that you've got a horse that is built well enough and conformed to, you know, have some functionality in all of those classes and can stay sound. And so it's, it's just the all around test and you do have to do, um, you can compete individually in each of those classes and they will recognize now at the world show a world champion in each of the individual classes. But then for the all around, you have to compete in a cow class. Um, one of the dry work classes, which means like the trail, the reining or the riding, and then the confirmation, and then you're eligible for the all around and then they'll crown an all around world title. So you just use the word handy. And I was talking to somebody the other day and I said something about a handy bro course and they were like, I've never heard of that. And I love what you just talked about. Cause to me, that's like a handy bro course is what you just described, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's lots of horses that, that just go around. But, you know, do they guide and do they steer? Can you put them in a turnaround and stop them and back them and shove their body sideways over a side pass pole? I mean, it, it really demonstrates just the overall brokenness of a horse. So you're getting ready for this event called the ranch horse triple crown challenge. Um, in fact, it'll be coming up a little bit after this podcast is released and Devin is actually going to be there on the ground. So be sure to keep an eye out for that on social media and on Facebook and the website and whatever else. Um, but it's a pretty new event 
And I believe this is only the second year. Can you talk a little bit about it and, uh, you know, what it's doing for the ranch horse world now that there's kind of a, a main event to go to? Sure. So, yeah, this is the second year. I think Daniel Patton was the guy that was really behind this and got the ball rolling. So, you know, I, I think all of us appreciate the efforts. And he saw a need, I think, to have a specific ranch horse forum uh, so we could all demonstrate the ability of these horses. And he's added a lot of money to it. And so for the ranch horses, it's probably the first time that we're able to go in and compete for some pretty big prizes as well. And so I think it's given the ranch horses a big boost and it's given these owners some incentives to send their horses down the road. And it's, I think, increased a lot of value for these horses because owners are more inclined to pay a little bit more money for a horse if they can send it to a horse show and they might actually get a good paycheck. And uh, it's, it's just been really important. And so the triple crown, he's got it, broken down into the ranch riding, the ranch trail, and the ranch rail. And each of those legs, the three legs, uh, there will be a payout for each of them. And I believe that he's added an extra incentive. If the, the same horse was able to win all three legs, then if you won the triple crown, there's a pretty big payout for that as well. That's cool. I love that. Um, so you're headed down. You said you're going to Guthrie first, I think, and then to Fort Worth. Um, how many horses are you taking down to Texas for that event? So, you know, this year we really decided to scale back. Uh, a lot of these world shows are just back to back to back. You know, we go straight from Guthrie for the versatility world to the paint world, the triple crown, and then the youth world shows right after that. And then it's followed up by the NSBA world show. And so this year, instead of hauling a lot of the same horses to all of these different events, because it's, it's a pretty strenuous deal and those shows are quite a long race from us. And so just hauling these horses in the heat throughout the summer, we felt took a toll on those horses and we didn't feel that it was in their best interest to do that. So we really scaled back. So I think we're taking like 10 horses to Guthrie and I think only 14 or 15 to Fort Worth. Only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of these shows we've been taking between like 30 to 45 horses to a show. So to kind of just go and show 10 or 14 seems like a vacation. (laughs) I don't know how you, you probably don't get a lot of sleep when you bring almost 40 head to a horse show. No, there's not a lot of sleep, but you know, I'm pretty fortunate that I have really good help. I've got a great team and everybody jumps in and they know their job and it, it runs pretty smoothly. So you also do uh, the cow horse as well. Um, can you talk about figuring out your, your schedule and being able to, to figure out what cow horse NRCHA shows that you're going to go to versus your, you know, AQHA horse shows, NSBA horse shows, ranch versatility shows. How do you kind of come together to figure out what horse shows you're going to be going to? You know, it's always kind of a struggle at the beginning of the year because we do have a pretty diversified training program. And there are all of these shows. And like I said, they're all scrunched up together in the summer. And so what we do is at the beginning of the year, we sit down and we try to just pick some of the premier events. So we'll go to some of the smaller local breed shows to get these horses prepared and schooled up and or qualified for the world shows. And then after that, we just set our sights on 
these are going to be our two big shows for our ranch riders, ranch trail horses. And these are going to be our two or three big shows for our cow horses. And then we lay them down on the calendar to make sure that they're going to fit because there's a lot of the shows that I would absolutely love to go to, but just logistically, uh, they're not going to work. And so the calendar itself kind of eliminates a lot of those shows for us. Yeah, I'm sure that's stressful, especially when you're hauling up to like 40 horses to some of these shows, just trying to figure out, can we even make it there on time? Um, exactly. When you're hauling that many horses, and this is just like, I, I'm just curious, what are some like must-haves you got to have in your trailer when you're hauling all these horses to shows other than horses and tack and hay, of course? <laughs> um, do you haul with like, do you not leave home with certain things in your trailer? Well, you know, we're from Colorado and like we're from northern Colorado. So we have no humidity and we're not really used to the heat. So no, when we not. go down south, the biggest thing is we make sure we have fans and a lot of fans. And because we're not used to the humidity, we have learned that you better travel south with a bunch of gold bond because you are going to sweat your butt off. Um, so those are the big things that we have learned now. If you're going to Texas, like those are the essentials. Must haves. Uh, electrolytes and fans are definitely on my <laughs> trailer list. <laughs> right. Um, so for for those who are looking at ranch riding continues to become bigger and bigger every year. I mean, I think it's the n- largest class at the AQHA World Show and I don't know the numbers on the APHA World Show, but I would imagine it's fairly similar over there. For someone who is new to ranch riding or looking to get into that ranch versatility stuff, do you have any advice for them? And like, whether it's what kind of horse you need, like what kind of prospect, where would they find, you know, a trainer to work with or local events to compete in? What would be your advice for someone that's wanting to step into that world? You know, I think from my background where, you know, I just sort of jumped in and figured it out. I think I, I think there's a lot of utility in that. If you think you're interested, I think you need to find some place and you need to just go and you need to just chalk it up to experience and you need to just look around and watch it and experience it. And then I think it's a good place to figure out what you need to know then. And then I think you can kind of look around and figure out what trainers are in your area, but there's tons of horse shows, you know, I mean, you can go to your local affiliate and get on their website or even call some of those people and figure out which shows there are. Um, but there's lots of open shows too. And now I think even up here in Colorado, there's lots of smaller club shows, but they all are offering ranch riding. And so those are really good places to jump in and figure it out for like eight bucks a class and just kind of get your feet wet. Yeah. It does seem like they're everywhere now. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's it's popular, and I think in all breeds, which is really exciting. And then I think as far as what kind of horse you have, I think there is nothing wrong with jumping in with the horse you've got and enjoy it and figure it out and try to make that horse as good as you can do it. And then if you get really into it and you think that you need to maybe upgrade or you need a different style of horse, um, you know, then I think you can address that as it happens. But I think it's just important and it's it's such a fun, welcoming group of people that bring the horse you've got and experience it and then kind of see where the road takes you from there. 
Absolutely. I've, I've heard you say that in some of like our on-demand videos, just show the horse you have, have fun, do the best you can with what you got and go from there. Um, so again, we're going to be covering the ranch horse triple crown challenge and, uh, Cody will be there for everybody that's going to be keeping up with that and watching. And he's also, he's just too nice to say no when I go bug him for interviews. So you're going to be hearing from Cody because I'm going to be harassing him when he's not showing. Um, other <laughs> than that, Cody, where can people like find more info on you or follow along with your journey? Like what uh, social media do you have? Where can folks keep up with you? Uh, so we've got uh, an Instagram, you know, nowhere but up performance horses and we're on Facebook as well. And we're getting ready to launch our new website, uh, CodyCrowHorseTraining.com. Uh, we've got one up there now, but we're fixing to kind of upload the new rollout. And here pretty soon, I think Heidi's going to be launching a lot of stuff for us. And so I think we'll have a bigger presence on social media here pretty soon. And for those who want to actually learn from Cody and they do not live in Colorado or are not able to go to a clinic, be sure to go on ondemand.horseandrider.com because he has a phenomenal ranch horse, ranch trail, uh, cow horse video content. We've done some younger horse stuff. We've done some non-pro stuff. I mean, we've we've covered a lot of different events and obstacles and, and everything in between. And it continues to be some of our best performing content and people cannot get enough of you, Cody. So be sure to uh, go online and, and check it out if you haven't already, because yeah, I, I'm sure you will learn something. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking with us and, and talking about the ranch versatility and the cow horse and, and hopefully inspiring some people to get out of their comfort zone, go to a local horse show and, and test the waters. Well, perfect. Well, thank you for having me. It's It's been a blast and we look forward to the next one. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.